We're fans of buyers agents on this podcast. Of course we are. I am one and Chris recommends all his clients use one. But buyers agents are not all created equal. How does a buyer's agent develop the necessary skills to really add value to their client's purchasing process? And how can consumers tell the good from the bad? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. Did you know that a buyer's agent can set up business without any experience? Oh sure, yep, they need a real estate license, but in some states and territories, once you have this, you can start working as a buyer's agent without any oversight from an experienced licensee. Now, it's only a recent phenomena that in New South Wales and ACT, a buyer's agent needs to have two years work experience before they can qualify for a class one license and run their own business. And in Victoria, it's one year, but everywhere else, no experience required. So Chris, you deal with buyer's agents across many states. Can you describe the breadth of competency that you've observed? Yeah, I mean, it's a, I've started working with buyers agents back in 2012, so a decade now. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of went on a bit of a mission to figure out my view on them, I guess. And the, the outcome that I got to as a business is that you can't just have one buyers agent, right? Um, I know many mortgage brokers and people in financial advice, you know, they go, oh, yeah, I've got someone who can do my buyers agency and it's one person <laughs> yeah. uh, or it's one company. Um, that buys everywhere. And I sort of realized pretty quickly early on that both of those are a bit flawed. You know, how can one person buy across the whole country? But even how can one company buy across the whole country? Because, you know, to have the local expertise, they've usually got to hire people and you're not going to get the top talent. You've got all the local um, relationships. So I just went on a journey really and sort of sussed out. um, And I haven't figured out every pocket in the country, but most parts of the capital cities and, you know, lots of different regions now, um, I've sort of sussed out who I think's got the best experience, the most knowledge in that local market. And as a business, we refer to buyers agents all over the country that are local specialists in different pockets. And usually multiple, especially in the capital cities, um, buyers agents, when a client's asked, I say, well, look, you know, you're in the northern beaches of Sydney or the inner eastern suburbs or, you know, you're in the inner north of Melbourne, yeah, here's a few different buyers agents that we think are, are good operators. I think in the last few years in particular, there's well-known buyers agency courses out there and sort of a proliferation of it becoming a cool job um, and more clients picking people off uh, you know, different platforms or different ways they hear about things. And when I sort of open up, there's been a buyer's agent for six or 12 months. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the story is that I was a great property investor and I didn't like my corporate life um, and now I want to be a buyer's agent. Um, but I just, you know, we, we're very hesitant working with those people. And we, we have worked with some and, the you know, clients have worked with them and got some great results, but we've also seen it go the other way as well. So I think the there's not that many buyers agents. I mean, I was spoke at the Reba conference this year and there's not many buyers agents that have been around for five years, you know, and who have stuck to a local area um, and have really become that local, you know, expert. I feel like um, that's a sort of really quite a small cohort compared to, you know, the real estate industry. Yeah, it's funny. I put together a national database of buyers agents that I personally rate when I was uh, working with Kent and Nick, we put together Suburb Help. So Suburb Help, you can go to suburbhelp.com.au and you can look at Kent's data for different areas across the country and then you can get a recommendation for a buyer's agent in that area. Assuming, of course, that there is one. There is plenty of areas that I can't recommend someone because either they don't exist, there's not a buyer's agent that specialised in that area, or the people that I've spoken to, um, I don't rate and I would never put my name on a recommendation. Um, I spoke to someone in a regional area, for instance, who'd be doing it for five minutes. Previously, he'd been working sort of for a a big national uh, supermarket company. 
and in in various roles but loved property and invested in property and wanted to help people you know succeed in property the way they had and they failed when I was quizzing them um, I've got sort of a, a set criteria that I asked them about before I'm prepared to consider recommending them and a couple of things is how have you measured your own investment portfolio how do you how do you rate what makes a good investment and anyone who just says to me oh because I get good rent it's like bop bong you you do not understand the fund first things about investing in property if that's your only sort of decider as to whether it's a good investment or not because that can change and if that property doesn't have any other fundamentals other than that currently it gets good rent then then that's a real worry and secondly what due diligence process do you go through for your clients when you when mm. you um after you've recommended a property and now this person was in Queensland Right in Queensland, one thing I've learned through Home Buyer Academy with Megan is we put together an understanding of the full due diligence process, the disclosure process, uh, the disclosure requirements in every state and territory is so different. In Queensland, is the worst state in terms of getting um, compulsory disclosure from vendors. Right, you get given nothing. Like it's absolutely abominable. I'm appalled. I don't know how anybody buys there without a buyer's agent. Mm. And so when asking this person who is now a buyer's agent with their own business in a regional area, you know, selling the, the merits of using a buyer's agent to people who probably never heard of a buyer's agent before. And I've asked them what due diligence process you go to go through. And the words were, oh, well, I never believe a thing an agent tells me. And I went, that's fine. But what due diligence process do you go through? He didn't know what I was talking about. So this person has actually done two courses, done their licensing course and another course, supposedly learning to be a buyer's agent and didn't actually know the fundamentals of due diligence. Mm. Mortifying. And so, you know, and this is, that's probably the worst conversation I had. I've had lots of conversations ranging from people who really get it, some really impressive buyers agents in regional areas as well as in metro areas, right through to that. That was my worst <laughs> most shocking conversation and it really has has got me on a, a bit of a bandwagon I have to say yeah I mean we, we uh so we get clients saying you know there's always a natural hesitancy to use buyers agency I mean we're brokers we're very fortunate that there's no real fee a client has to pay mm. you know we're paid by the banks um, we negotiate them the rates and um so, you know, there's no like upfront, and especially when money's tight, a lot of first home buyers and people yeah. don't want to have to pay something out of their pocket. But with buyers agency, obviously there's a there's a cost and run a profitable business. And to actually be an expert at something um, that, you know, the, the fees for the great buyers agents aren't cheap, right? They're not going to do it for five grand, right? Um, they're going to be a lot more than that. So it's also it's a decent fee um, to get the top buyers agents. There's always a natural hesitancy. And a lot of clients will say, you know, should you use a buyers agent? I say absolutely if you can get a really good one, but if you're using one that's you know just potentially been you know doing it a year or maybe bought a couple of properties, you, you're really their guinea pig and they're learning. And sometimes they actually get in way the transaction rather than actually really help you, um, and they make it even more confusing and you know and really create all these additional pressures and etc. Um, so I think it's all about selecting the right buyer's agency. And that's, I think, the, the real hard thing to do because you've got to try to figure out who that is. But also you've got to make sure you go to the right buyer's agent depending on the area that you want to buy. So you've got to mm. figure out where you want to buy first. Then, okay, so I'm going to buy in this pocket of this capital city. Okay, who's the buyer's agency that, you know, um, and the buyer's agent that I can really trust in that area has got the experience. And I think people go about it the wrong way. They you know, especially the investment specialist buyers agents, they're pretty prolific out there in terms of, you know, creating content and, and things like that. And then, you know, they they go to them when they think, oh, maybe I've got on top of my mortgage, maybe I should buy an investment property. And they go speak to this buyers agent, they get sold the dream things like you said, Veronica, around, oh, it's got good rent or it's got good yield and, oh, it worked for me and I bought 20 of those and, um, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they, they basically fall into whatever their strategy is and that's just crossing your fingers. And they haven't even considered like where else in the country should they buy? You know, should they spend a lot more on one asset? Should they upgrade their house? Should they do a renovation? It's, it's, it's way too late once you just start going down, oh, I should buy an investment property and just picking a random buyer's agent. You're really asking for trouble, I think, if you go down that route. It really is a problem, actually, and and you know I will hundred percent acknowledge that 
Um, I think a buyer's agent needs to be a local specialist. To truly add value in the process, you have to understand the local market for lots and lots of reasons, if not just to be able to understand what makes a good asset in that local area, what's a good street, um, you know, what are the local buyers really want? What will they always pay a premium for in terms of that's going to help your capital growth, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many, the relationships with agents, agents, knowing how agents, different agents will negotiate, um, the, the processes, which ones lie, which ones tell the truth or all of that stuff. Like that is just stuff that is knowledge that is built layer upon layer upon layer over years. Right. And a lot of that is the art of being a buyer's agent. Yeah. So there's science, yes, then there's the art in in all of that local knowledge. The problem is, of course, and so I think, and that's why with Suburb Help, for instance, every single buyer's agent that I've vetted is a local specialist. I'm not interested in somebody who's a jack of all trades, who says, oh, yeah, I'll fly up there and I'll I'll go over there and, and I'll be everything to everybody because I just don't think you're re- truly adding value. No. All you're doing is saving someone time. In that regard. And there really needs to be a lot more than just a pure time saver in, in order to use a buyer's agent. So that's the first thing. But the problem with that, inherent in that, is that if you, it's that old thing, if I've only got a hammer, if I only borrow buy in one area, then every problem that comes to me, I'm going to think is a nail because I've only got one tool, yeah. right? And so that is the weakness with the, buy, the local buyer's agent. When you go to the local buyer's agent to say, where should I buy? They're, of course, biased. They're, of course, going to suggest that you buy in their area. And it might be good advice, but it also uh, you're not getting that holistic advice. Yeah. But the problem is when you get that holistic advice, you're going to go to uh, a bigger organization and then you've got to be certain that they have really good methodologies and they also have really good benchmarking so that, that, that you can and, – and they're not trying to sell you on a total property plan where they can basically – milk you by buying a number of properties, you know, (laughs) over time instead of one cracker A-grade asset because you and I have discussed property plans in the past and unless you really have the potential to have a significant income lift in, you know, future years, I think that a property plan really has to be about buying an excellent asset up front and if you only end up with one investor property, so be it. You know, rather yeah. than trying to get three and they're all C grade, but you know that's probably another topic. But yeah. so there, there is therein lies a problem that is somebody's not willing to do the work themselves to understand what makes a good area to invest in for their budget as well, because and also for their their long term uh, aspirations. Then you're in trouble because you're going to be sold in. You know, if you go to a local buyer's agent, you're going to be sold into that that area. But if you go to one of those you know, fly in, fly out, it's a big, the big borderless lot, you might be sold a dream that isn't necessarily right either. So it is a problem. Absolutely. Yeah, either way, it's not, you know, if you go to the local one, which would be, if you, for example, figured out that was, if you're buying a pure investment and you just got lucky, that local buyer's agent was where you could get best value for money or the best entry point to get a quality asset for your budget in the country, you could get lucky, right? And that could be, but ultimately they are going to buy in their local specialty area. You know, you say, well, they'll say, well, okay, so let's say it's in the inner west of Sydney, right? Just use it as an example. And you say, well, I've got a million dollars to spend. They're not going to say, well, maybe you should go and buy it in Brisbane. They're going to say, okay, for a million dollars in the inner west, I know that market, I can get you a good two better. Um, now, is are they thinking, oh, is that better than buying a house in Melbourne or buying a house in Brisbane or should we go to Perth or, you know, et cetera. So you really got to go to the buyer's agents once you figured out the location. Maybe you can go speak to multiple, to be honest. Mm. You could, um, and we recommend that for clients, like you were going, maybe I should buy Central Coast or Wollongong or, you know, um, because at different price points, you do get competing locations that are offering pros and cons. Um one may have, you know, access to maybe more land versus the other one, but maybe it's more uplift in terms of a build or et cetera. So it is the art. I think going to the right buyer's agent um, is the real thing. And then making sure that, you know, they are the the local specialist. And then there's all challenges with actually how you work with them ongoing and to get the best result. Um, but yeah, and if you go to an investment specialist, Absolutely. You were just going to, what's frustrating when clients have got really good borrowing capacity and they're in a really strong income position, and then they go to one of these investment groups who typically target, you know, everyday Australians and more the lower affordability part of the market. Mm. Um, so they, their typical clientele can only afford three, $400,000. 
but this client who's got great borrowing capacity and is maybe could borrow millions of dollars goes to one of these and they buy 10 at this, <laughs> you know, person and they're buying and they're playing in markets that they just don't need to play in. Like your, your risk versus reward just isn't there. You know, if you can't, you can only buy one investment property for your whole life and all you can afford is 300. Well, maybe you're in the right place. Whether you should buy it or not is a different conversation, but yeah, um, versus putting money into super or paying off your mortgage. Um, but I, I get frustrated when they, you go to them and they're like, well, you're not my typical client. The typical client for me is earning, you know, hundred and fifty or hundred thousand dollars combined, and you're earning three, four hundred. Well, I'll just buy you five of what I do. Then they come to us years down the line, and they've got these really messed up portfolio. Nothing's really working. The loans are already all over the place. It's got negative equity. There's no growth here. Maybe they got lucky in one, and you have to unwind it. And then you have to basically say, what was the opportunity cost? If you just went back to four years ago. When you went before you bought these five or six properties and you just bought one quality asset, where would you have been? And that's what we've seen time and time again from this quantity strategy. So, which is the yeah. problem also with benchmarking and measurement of success. That, you know, I've been doing quite a bit of research because I have been running this um, pilot buyer's agent mentoring program that yep. I've run at the, the tail end of 2022. And in that, I've been researching, well, what pathway do people go down when they're thinking about becoming a buyer's agent? And a lot of them sort of spend a lot of time on YouTube <laughs> and, you know, following some very prolific um, YouTubers with their systems and all the rest of it. And some yeah. of it very, very alarming in my view. All the, all the case studies are short-term and bragging about short-term gains, things like I bought under market value, like what the hell even is that? <laughs> And, and secondly, within six months, I've got this equity uplift. You go, okay, how did you know that? Like did an identical property right next door sell for, you know, that extra money or 50 grand more or whatever? And, and even so, if you bought something with an identical property next door, maybe there's a problem with scarcity, but let's not go into that yet. No, the, the equity uplift comes from a valuation. And I'm like, that's not actually equity. That's just, you've manufactured that so that you've, can try to go and borrow more money or whatever. Anyway, it just annoys me and pulls my hair out. But these are very, very short-term measures and they're talking often, they're bragging, and they, these properties have been owned less than one year. I yeah. want to know what your situation's like in 10 years when you've owned these properties. Absolutely. Then we can start talking about whether your system works or not. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how dangerous we are. Um on my, one of my properties, um, we did a vow. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but anyway, we did a vow, a desktop vow. If you remember the banks, it came in oh, 20%, maybe 25% over what it would have sold at. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, well, there's no way in the world it would have sold for that. Like, there's mm. no way. It's just it's just way beyond. And um, so if I was there saying that the investment return on this based on that vow, I'd be completely, you know, uh, but you had but, a piece of paper, you could but prove I had a vow. it. <laughs> and so you can absolutely do these desktop vowels and, and you know, and there could be some, you know, the, the other thing is with that short term is you go the, the buy cost, um, the sell cost, maybe the capital gains tax. You haven't really made any money, even if you've made 15% potentially. Um, have you, you know, you bought something at 350 and now you're getting a vowel at 400. Have you really made much money if you did sell it today at 400? Well, no, like it's only once you start making selling at 450 or 500. And um, and then a lot of people say, oh, the return on that was a 15% return. Well, no, because if, if you did sell it right now, you'd pay agent's costs, you'd pay capital gains tax. You've really made 3%. So you made 10 grand on that after tax. Uh, yeah. And I think that's the other thing as well is it's absolutely down to long-term returns. And um, and yeah, and the buy under market value. I mean, would you sell your property under market value? No. Like, no. <laughs> So market value is the price that it's, the buyer you and seller. You the market, you idiot. You You're created the, the market. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I I do laugh at that, and I think um, or the speed of buying. I we buy all our properties in fourteen days, and mm. you know, like I think that's a real. I hate how buyers agents. It's a warning sign because yeah. if you can buy that easily, then you're buying you're buying easy stuff that's easy to buy. Easy to buy is hard to sell, and yeah. hard to sell means that erodes your capital growth over time. It erodes your freedom to sell whenever you want to. It, it's just all bad, you know. So this idea of yay, I got a property, and it's like yay, but you bought a dog. Yay, you yeah. bought a lemon, and. Yeah. 
and I think that, yeah, the pitch is all wrong. But, you know, if we wind back a bit to how people become a buyer's agent, so they might have gone through this, you know, they might be spending time on YouTube, even TikTok following some of these people and go, yeah, yeah, they're great, compelling arguments. I can do that too and I can buy a sight unseen across the country and, uh, you know, I can get a local property manager to go and look at the property and tell me whether to rent well and then I'll be happy with that. Like it's just danger, 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 Will Smith, right? Yeah. So – not Will Smith, Mr. Smith. That's from Lost in Space, a show that I used to hate as a kid. I don't even know why I quote from it. Right, <laughs> the the pathway that people take, you have to become a, you have to be licensed. So you have to get a real estate license to yeah. become a buyer's agent, which is actually better than becoming a property advisor, where you don't actually need any qualifications whatsoever. Um, yeah. We interviewed Peter Kalizos, who was the president of PIPA, um, probably about a year ago now, and I was shocked. I hadn't even tweaked that property advisors um, didn't actually need to have uh, qualifications. Go figure. So, But the licensing system, the way it exists around this country to become a buyer's agent is that you get a real estate agent license right? And they all vary slightly from state to state and territory to territory. However, the one thing that is common amongst all of them is that that licensing course was designed for sales agents and property managers. So you can be qualified to put together an appeal at the tenancy tribunal or put together a marketing campaign to sell a property, but you actually haven't learned anything about the due diligence that's required to be done in order to properly buy a property, um, let alone measurement for investment potential and capital growth and all that stuff. Like all none of that is even touched on. In New South Wales, there is, I mean, Jackie Parker, who used to be the president of REBA um, a number of years back, she's a trainer at REI in New South Wales, and they do have an elective that you can do to if but that's assuming that you know what that you want to be a buyer's agent when you're doing your licensing course so that you would go and do that elective but it's an elective which means that all the compulsory subjects you're doing a bunch of compulsory subjects that actually are totally irrelevant to the work of a buyer's agent so that is the problem with our licensing system and the regulators don't seem to recognize this or or even sort of consider that it's a problem they just like to simplify the licensing process so that everyone goes through the same pathway and you pop out and then a lot of these buyers agents particularly in an area where you can set up business yourself without having any experience they're a bit entrepreneurial they they like the idea of setting up their own business or they haven't been able to find a business to employ them because there are a lot of very very small businesses and micro businesses in the in the buyers agency space. So getting employment with you when you don't have experience is quite difficult. And the alternative, a lot of people, you know, the path that they go down is to then set themselves up in business. And so then they're actually taking clients' money. And in a, in the the recent boom. People were so desperate to get a buyer's agent and experienced buyer's agents were full. They were at capacity. So all these newbies actually got business, actually got people paying them to buy them property. Talk about the blind leading the blind. And then in the middle of deals, it's sort of the hammer, the, the, or the penny might fall. Oh, God, I actually don't know what to do next. Mm. And it's just mortifying. And I've spoken to a lot of buyer's agents that have actually experienced this. I actually yep. don't know what to do. Now, that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the, um, I mean, that's why you love the buyer's agent that has worked, you know, done that sort of apprenticeship um, and has gone out on their own. And, you know, and that that's why I think really in the course or even doing multiple courses or watching stuff, I think it's the real life experience. It's the, you know, transactions. And like with broking, for example, we do a lot, uh, a lot more transactions and, uh, more of a volume over buyers agents because you know you might only be handling a couple of briefs at a time, yeah. so you might only be buying ten or twenty properties a year, right? And you know and this one of the challenges with a lot of brokers starting out, they haven't got that transactions, and mm. so they don't really ever get speed up. But it's easy to you know see a get those learnings. I think in buyers agents, there's so many more things you need to learn as well, mm. um, and so I think you just need years of buying properties and usually buying them under someone and. A lot of buyers agents don't want to go through the pain of, you know, getting those learnings and basically working on their craft. They want to play catch up. They may be transitioning from another career into it. They don't want to go back to the start again, and then they just sort of wing it. And I think that's a really dangerous thing because I think what happens is the agent knows they're winging it. Yes. And what will happen is they'll go, uh, so for example, um, 
if an agent in the inner west gets a call, just using you as an example, Veronica, from you, mm. they know who you are, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, they end of the day, uh, 80 or 90% of the properties would sell through two or three agents or their team, you know, and their their team, you know what I mean? Um, in each suburb, yeah. In each, yeah, in, mm. in a suburb, right? Because there's, there's a couple of, you know, powerhouses that own the suburb and, you know, and then because you're an a- buyer's agent within that su- that area for a long time, they know who you are, right? So yeah. when Veronica Morgan calls, I go, she's not going to waste my time. She's going to ask me smart questions and she's going to really get to the crux of it and um, she's going to be a straight shooter, right? Um, because you're not going to waste your time uh, with for a client who maybe not be pre-approved, right? So mm. you're going to have done all your due diligence and be ready to make offers and know how to make offers. But if they get a call from some... Hi, I'm John. I'm a new. I'm a buyer's agent from so and so. They come in heavy, swinging handed, and the agent's like, "I got no idea who you are." They would probably, if anything, put them to the bottom of the list. Sometimes below, like the punters on the street, because they're like, "You just don't know the rules of the game, right?" Yeah. And you're trying to be this. You, if anything, a lot of agents I've spoken to, they think they just they don't like them, and they actually will if they have a preference in offers. They would preference the first time buyer that they've seen at lots of open houses and, and put more weight on that when they're explaining it to the vendor than this inexperienced buyer's agent that's trying to do all these hard negotiation tools and he's just, um, you know what I mean? That's that's <laughs> yes. what I've seen happen. And I go back to a client a few years ago. They came to me and said, oh, look, we are buying in the east um, and I know them really well, this client, from personal stuff. Um and but we've already got our own buyers. I, I said I really recommend don't use them. I would. I just. I know that they're a friend, and they literally were a close friend of the client. I just don't think that you're going to get a great result. You're going to pay a big fee, and but they had to use them because it was a friend of the friend. And ultimately, I know for certain they missed out on a property um, because the agent got pissed. It was the biggest one of the big agents in the east got pissed off with the way that they were negotiating. And basically just said, no, I'm not going to, like, work with yep. you. Um, it's too hard. Yeah. And and so I think that's what the issue I've seen is that the, the buyer's agent hasn't got the experience. He's winging it. The agents know that. And they're like, well, you're not going to even answer your calls or waste my time with you. I'm just going to only work with the – and that's why I think the other thing was said about the relationships in the area. The best buyers, if you think about you're an agent, you've got this quality listing who the vendor is open to, you know, a pre-market offer. Um, and is willing to make a, a reasonably fast deal, assuming it's the right price, and it's a good property, who are you going to potentially call? You're going to call the best buyer's agents who you, you know, you've got a relationship with because they're going to most likely have a buyer, um, and that's and they're not going to waste your time. They're not going to come and make offers and it fall over, et cetera, but you're not going to give it out to the whole market because you're just going to flood yourself with work. But you're just going to carefully select the hottest buyers that you really would be suitable, plus the best buyers agents. But you're not even going to give access to that to all these other new buyers agents, etc. So they're not going to get the best off markets unless they've already gone to the best buyers agents. And so that would be my belief as well: is that you're not even going to get the relationship benefit when you use these buyers agents because the agent's just not going to like working with them, and he's not going to give them any preferential treatment, which they definitely do do to the top buyer's agents. 100%. And not only that, in that whole negotiation process, I mean, good agents are very well practised in um, their dialogue and they have a system. They have a process that they they will run each listing through this process, right? Um, and everyone's got their own, their own process. And so, you know, you get sales agents that basically – um, they'll start saying certain things to us, and we then relay to our client. We know now they're basically they've they've set out the tripwire. We know that that within days this thing is going to, the offer process is going to start because they've yep. started with this dialogue, and that's our warning sign. Now, in a buyer's market, you respond differently to that than you would in a seller's market. But either yep. way, here we are interpreting what that means to our client. And if you go to you know. Other agents, even in their office, they might do things differently. It's just that that's what this, you know, each agent has their process. So being able to work with that, understand what's going on and respond accordingly, know when you've got the power, know when you don't have the power, know when you need information, where you've got to fill in those gaps, when you're running blind, all of that stuff to be able to to advise the client to say, we are running blind here and not feel like, because a lot of um new buyers agents, they say to me, I have imposter syndrome. 
like I feel like I, I really don't know what I'm doing and I feel mm. like that agent is running rings around me. One of the reasons that they feel the agent is running rings around you is because the agent is running rings around you and they mm. do the same thing to us. And the fact is they know more than we do. They yep. know the vendor circumstances. They know really how many other contract holders are on that property, how many building pests have been downloaded. They know how many strata searches have been done. They know if they've actually had offers or not because they don't have to disclose this stuff to every buyer. Yep. They don't. And so we spend our time going, right, well, what do they know that we need to find out? So we might have a hypothesis at the outset and then we start, you know, little bits of information drop in and we, we can build yeah. a bigger picture. But you have to understand what's going on in order to be able to even do that. And like you said, this takes years of experience. And in our team, we're collaborative and we've got, you know, I've added up how many years experience we've got well over. We've probably got about – we've got – Close to a hundred years of experience in my team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a lot, right? Mm. And so we share our challenges internally as well. And, and there's always insight someone else in the team will bring in. So without having access to that, by starting off your own business on your own, never having been in the industry, <laughs> you know, you don't have access to any of that stuff. Like it's a, it's a massive disadvantage. Um oh for buyers agents and their clients yeah and i think that where i think the once the relationship and you probably have this with agents in your pocket uh veronica is once there is just literally lots of years of trust um and you're both ultimately you want to get a great result for your clients veronica the agent wants to get a great result and sometimes those those numbers are pretty close right mm. and you know and so you're not the the agent's not uh doing a disservice to their client but they can give share information to you, Veronica, that is going to at least figure out whether it's going to work or not. Yeah. Because they can be and say, look, the vendor will, is not going to take anything with less than a four in it, right? And you go, well, my budget's 3.5. Well, like, that's just not going to happen. Mm. Whereas a puncher in the street, the agent has to sort of be vague. Oh, you know, we're guiding 3.5. Um, and they can't really say to you on the street, oh, it's, it's not going to sell for less than four, you know? But they can definitely, and so you can just sort that out. I, I imagine, yep. Veronica, where you just get that real straight line because they know that you're not going to share that information with the market and you can move on to the next property rather than wasting, you know, they don't want to waste your time and see you at the next open and say, oh, sorry, Veronica, I know you had all this waste, you know, you could only get to three, nine and it was going to sell for four. Um, yeah, and, and, so then, and then if if they don't get any buyers on it, you know, and they have to drop their quoting in a genuine way because there's two ways they drop the quoting, particularly at the moment. They're dropping it because they often the process that an agent would use is to sound out the marketplace at a, at a price point, gauge the feedback to that, don't don't hit it too hard, go back to the vendor, say, look, that's not going to cut it. We need to actually launch it at a lower price point in order to get the job done. They do that. Um, and then buyers will come in and go, oh, yeah, great, and then they get that competition. Even yep. in a slow market, this happens, and then they end up getting what they originally thought, <laughs> you know. But sometimes they might not – they might have miss, missed it. They might have got it wrong, and then they will come back to us and say, do you know what? We really, really, really thought it was going to get X, and we are not getting anywhere near that, and now your 3.5 might buy it, you know. Yeah. So, so there are those conversations, but once again, not every agent – is capable of even doing that. You've got the mm. robotic agents out there that will stick to their process, will never never swing with the, the punches. You know, but once again, our experience allows us to understand who they are and to work accordingly with them. Yeah. In that, you know, however, it is to design to get the best outcome for our clients. I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions. And you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or lower north shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. And if you'd like a 30% discount plus free postage for my book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property, even though you're scared shitless, and yes, I'm a potty mouth, use the code ELEPHANT at the checkout, veronicamorgan.com.au. You're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one, or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, 
We would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. And so this this is all this nuance. And this is so went for new buyers agents who are thinking, oh, imposter syndrome. That's for very good reason, you know, because you are in a situation where you don't know enough, you know. So yeah. Um, you know, they- well, I mean, in that situation, everyone. So that it's say it's the eighty percent of agents that usually, you know, usually sell in the suburb. Those agents that sell eighty percent, which might be you know, five or ten percent of the agents. Mm. Um, if it was one of those other ones, you could just call those agents that sell the majority in the suburb. They've probably been through the property. Yeah, there's probably spoke to the vendor, and they would just tell you everything they need to know. You know, the vendors. This mm. is the exact situation because they would be upset they didn't get the listing. Um, or they you have to be careful the- with that, though, because sometimes oh, they can white-end it. You know? They can, of course, and they do, but that's <laughs> yeah. not a bad thing, you know, because that information could help you. Obviously, mm. you, you gloss down certain parts, but, you know, maybe they sold the property before in the past, you know, because um, they've been around for a long time. They say, well, this is what, why it didn't sell very well eight years ago. Um, and so they could tell you that information, A, because they'd probably be upset they didn't get the listing, but B, um <laughs> Yeah, because they, you know, they just, you know, they, you've got that trust level with them. So I think that's just that, that's why the local specialist, well, I've done a bit of mentoring, I guess we would call it, what well, mentoring is the wrong word, but consulting to new buyers agents, um, who I think are great people, who have a good heart and want to make, you know, want to, but they're just sort of going about it that, you know, they're just early mm. days. So we wouldn't refer our clients to them, but I've had a coffee with them. I think you're actually, you want to do a good job, but I think, you know, from my experience working with buyers agents, these are certain things I would make changes on. And um, I, I, a lot of the time I would just say, look, pick your market that you really want to work in long-term and own it and and commit to it and uh, and really build that, that local expertise mm. and that real market. And it's going to take you a while, but it's hard when you're starting a new business. And this is why I think it's hard for new buyers agents is – they get stuff on, like for us as brokers, we get clients who want to buy anywhere we can help. But if they get yep. a client who says, I want to buy this, it's hard for them to say no when they've got to put food on the table for their family. And so they end up just, you know, piecemealing all these clients together and they never actually own the market. So at least make your marketing though, if it was me, and what you're at least start that journey. Because if you never start that journey, you'll never actually, you know, get good at it. But that's just one of the, the challenges. Um, Specialization is very, very important for buyers agency, and it's one of the things that actually I, I I've been quite surprised in. I put together twelve modules, which this so the program, the pilot program we ran, went for twelve weeks, and became quite obvious that because I was distilling like twenty two years of real estate experience, <laughs> fifteen of buying into twelve weeks, it was like that's just f- way too short. It needs a. Twelve months and implement it properly and really, really right. work through all this stuff. So, one of the things that that I've really soul searched with every single module that I put together here, I've really soul searched all the challenges, all those hurdles that I've gone through myself in my own business, and all the understanding that I have now of the weaknesses of this as an industry and the, and also the benefits. You know, so and one of the weaknesses is that it's really difficult. Um, to set up a business where you are a local because exactly what you're saying, you you want to put food on the table, you you want to you basically want to take the business wherever it comes. However, you get strip bread so thin doing yeah. that. You know, t- for someone to to try to buy all over Sydney, and I've met plenty of buyers agents that do this. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. I really don't. You know, they're one minute they're buying a bloody Avalon yep. and the next minute they're buying in Cronulla, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and the drive between there is like a good two and a half hours, yeah. you know, to get from one end of Sydney to the other. And then they, then they get another client says, oh, I want to buy a unit in Bankstown. And and like how geographically, just, just logistically, how do you cover that? So automatically there are limitations with the service that you can offer because you don't have the time to properly canvas those areas and to yep. get out there inspecting property. Um, you know, you don't have the time to nurture those relationships, understand, really, really get down to the grassroots and understand those those yeah. um, markets and know what the pitfalls are. You probably also don't have time to do the proper due diligence because no. you probably don't have systems in place and, and all that. I had to build all this stuff from scratch. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, I originally worked for a buyer's agency that had none of that documented 
Yeah. They've been in business 10 years and didn't have any due diligence documented. So this is this isn't just the province of newbies. This is this is um an issue sometimes with experience. So that's there's a tip I would um say if you're looking at using a buyer's agent, look for that local experience and yeah. ask them what their due diligence process is, is and ask for examples of what they do. Yeah, I because think they you need can't a team. do it. I think you know yeah. I would love, you know, I like to see the success of everyone and whoever else has a crack, et cetera. But, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, you, as a consumer, you know, you're going out and buying and paying it for a service. You know, you're probably going to get a better outcome if someone who's the local special, but it's also got a team because you think about all the, the low value, but time consuming, the high value, but they're time mm. consuming, but they can't, if you just spent, you, you could lose a week just doing those per week, right? Calling yeah. agents, going to open homes, um, et cetera. And even if you're a local specialist, even going to five different opens in the, in a suburb can, you know, lose a day. So, uh, and even going to opens that you shouldn't be going to, like that's where experience will say, right, I've, I can not go yeah. to that open home because it's on that road. And it's got this <laughs> and I can easily figure that out on street. Or reading or, floor plans. That's, well, that's- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to even waste my time calling or going and seeing it. Um, I mean, we haven't spoken about conflicts of interest. So even if you do one of these things, though, so even if you pick the right buyer's agent, um, I don't think you're then guaranteed to get the best result. I think you've then, as a as a, as a a user of the buyer's agent, I've used it personally and we've had heaps of clients. Um, I think there's an art to how you work with the buyer's agent to make sure that they stay on course. Um, there's lots hmm. of conflicts that they have um you know there's only so many clients that they can work with um because there could be conflicting briefs the longer that you're on the uh sort of books the less likely they can have other clients through their process um you know their way that their fees are etc um so yeah i think it's a real skill to then actually get the best result from a buyer's agent um, even if you pick the good ones because there's still these overarching conflicts that you've got to work around to make sure that um yeah it happens well, it's a difficult business, you yeah. know, and this is the thing that, that I was talking about, the soul searching. You know, this is really, it's taken me a long time to get to this point and one of the things that I'm at great pains to let people that come through the mentoring program know is that you need to understand the limitations of this business up early. It took yeah. me years to sort of do this stuff to dawn on me and, and then I sort of realised why I felt like I was beating my head up against a brick wall half the time yeah. because there are limitations with this. And, and yes, you're right, you need to understand what's going to be your policy around multiple briefs Will you know, or competing briefs. Will you ha- Do you have a policy? Have you even thought about it? And then it's like we have a policy, for instance, so you don't take them on, but then somebody might go and get more money and then all of a sudden their brief is morphed into uh, it really comes very close to another client's brief and then, yep. what do you do then you know so you have to sort of really thought these these things through uh there's also a whole onboarding process i mean this is something that we refined over over the years and we do what's called a getting started session right and that that is where we get our clients briefs we want e- we want to know everything that they want right and then what we need to do is educate them as to the possibilities for their search properly so that they're not chasing a unicorn but also that if they need more money and they can get more money to get you know, whatever it is they're after, they have that conversation with their broker sure. early. Not after we've beaten our heads up against brick walls, looking, slogging it out for three months, trying to find them that unicorn that doesn't exist, and then they finally do it. And then if the market's rising, then they're chasing a rising market. And if the market's falling like it is at the moment, there's less stock around and they might have missed something two months ago they really should have bought. So yeah. so there's a lot of that. And then there's all this thing about, you know, how quickly should someone buy? And there's a there's a real pitch, you know, some buyer's agents will pitch, oh, I buy, you know, with on average within 14 days. And I'm like, Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. But you you don't you want someone on your books long enough for it takes for them to get the right property at the right price, yeah. right? But the problem is, of course, um, in a how do you set up your fee structure? And you know, my, I've been through various iterations in my business and I'm comfortable with the fee structure now. But you know, like we charge a monthly retainer to clients. Like it they've got a fixed fee, right? So the total fee is the same, but we we charge a monthly retainer retainer, and that just takes the pressure off having to think, oh, you know, I need to buy so I get the lump, you know. We just take that lumpiness out of the whole process. I've had one client that put their search on hold uh, through COVID and said, oh, no, I'd prefer to continue paying my retainer because I know I'm going to pay you at some point. And they prepaid. <laughs> they prepaid for their service, you know, when when the, when they put their, their search on hold, which is a 
it's a class, classic. So it is a challenge for buyers agents to sort of manage this idea about not treating their clients like, you know, like a sausage or like a sausage machine, just keep pumping out sausages, right? You've got to go, right, well, I need to take the time to make sure it's the right property for them and make sure all the due diligence is done and get it at the right price. And that means sometimes, um, obviously, a hit on your revenue in terms or your cash flow. It's not your revenue so much. If you're charging a fixed fee, you get paid when you purchase a property. And so like we changed our model some years ago to, ch- to charge a monthly retainer. So the total fee is the same, but it's just how you get paid. Yeah. We even had one client, and in fact, funnily enough, I expected some pushback, but our clients are really commercial. They get it. They're like, well, no, you're running a business and I don't want to feel pressured. In fact, we've had clients that have said, I love your pricing model and it, it, you know, because I don't feel pressured um, to buy because I know that, you know, I'm paying you for the service yeah. along the way and I know that my fees capped, I know exactly what my expect, my um, ultimate liability is going to be. Yeah. And I had one client that put their search on hold during COVID, during the lockdown, and then they continued paying their retainer because they said, well, we're going to pay you one day anyway, so we'll, we'll put the search on hold because we're not quite sure what we're doing, but we're happy to continue paying the retainer and yeah. it all comes out in the wash. And I think that says a lot about how clients respond and respond to that that um, yeah the intention and the way that we set up our own remuneration is around getting the right outcome for the clients whereas if the buyer's agent's remuneration is set up that it, if they use words like success fee that's what always al- alarms me yes there is success in buying a property for a client but you the success is more than just getting the deal the success yeah. has to be the right property. And so when you've got this sort of contingency element to a fee where you pay upfront for part of it and then you only pay the balance on success, you've got to realise it's like a sales agent. They only get paid when and if the vendor sells. So all of their advice has to be geared towards getting that vendor to sell. And I think from a buyer's agent point of view, you really need to look at the way in which they're remunerated and the way in which their fees are structured so that they, they're rewarded for the advice they give give you. Now, other people might argue, oh, well, there's nothing in it for them to hunt out and find a property. Well, there is still, I mean, they're still in it. You, you want to buy within a reasonable time frame. So there's plenty of motivation to, to get out there, get active and really get out there to find the property for clients. But I really do think we have to change that thinking and not apply that sales agency type mentality to the way in which buyers agents operate and, and the way in which you're remunerated as well. So when you're looking for one, really look into how, how their fees, fees are structured. Yeah, and I think just the, um, the effort they go to in terms of taking you on as a client, I, I really respect when buyers agents sort of say to me, look, I think they're being optimistic with what they want. Mm. Um, I can already see the writing on the wall that, you know, they want this unicorn, but they want to get it for a bargain price. Um, and I think that's why it's so important to be doing that upfront strategy with. So if you go to a buyer's agent and say, okay, I want to buy X, Y, Z, and I want to buy it in three weeks, and they're like, yeah, no worries, I can do that, 20 grand. You're like, okay, that's probably not a great buyer's agent because they're taking you on to us. <laughs> you know, a good buyer's agent would do the research and go, well, these are the comparables in the area. I actually know those comparables. I went through mm. them. Um, actually, I think that was a unicorn sale. It was a great property, and I, but I think there was a, a – or it went for a bigger price than – you know, like they just have that knowledge to go – okay, you want to spend two mil, that's not going to get you a house in this area, for example. Or, you know, are you willing to make compromises? And what compromise are you making? So have those conversations up front. And I think the best buyers agents do that because they can see in three or four months' time that they're going to waste all this time doing all this work and not be able to get the product that you ultimately want. And those buyers agents, like vendors, basically sign you up, get you a bit of a sunk cost. They might charge you a few thousand dollars. So you paid a a little bit of money, it's like an engagement fee. Uh, and what they'll then do is do what I call brief creep. So they will start <laughs> throwing things at you and basically like a real estate agent talking a vendor down on price, I think those buyers agents start basically increasing your brief. So you said you wanted to be in these little pocket in these suburbs and this is what you really want. Have you thought about this area? Have you thought about this? And you start, when you start going to other areas, you've got no reference points and you start trying to compare the product that you want and well, the suburb and the premium for that to this area. And if that's, it's, it's really hard. And what ends up happening is because you've been searching for so many months, you're a bit of a tired, you're a bit wounded bull. The relationship starts getting a bit um, fiddly with the buyer's agent. 
Um, and everyone wants that pain to end and then obviously you just go and buy a property and you've just bought something that's nothing like what you originally wanted to buy. Um, and, you know, it's not to say that the buyers, that, that's the wrong strategy. It's just that these are some of the things that come up, I think, when the brief up front isn't well thought about um, and they're just easily just taken onto the books. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and the buyer's agent, that a good buyer's agent with that type of brief will take you on and take you on an educational process at the outset yeah. to really say what you're after, you're going to need a miracle. Um, and so therefore something has to give and these are the options. And so then when you start the search in that way, it's a very different situation to when the buyer's agent gets desperate because this buyer's just, you know, too fussy and won't decide and won't, you know, won't do what they want them to do, which I've heard some complaints about this, where clients are like, I felt like they just didn't care anymore about what I wanted. Yeah. They just wanted to get me off their books. Yeah. And that's what you don't want to happen. So as a buyer's agent, you know, a skilled buyer's agent won't find themselves in that situation because they've had all those conversations in the in in the the lead up and they've got a system and a process that they follow to get that client um, in the right headspace to understand those things. And you know, even then, the still search still may take a while. And this is a thing too. If it takes three months, four months, God, I've had, you know, look very rare do they go over a year, but every now and then you get one that particularly long and tricky. Right, and yep. sometimes, most of the time, we anticipate it um, because of you know we've had those discussions up front. But other times, it's the market will yep. change, and then you you set, and there you are dealing with different sets of circumstances that you hadn't anticipated necessarily. And this is where that experience also kicks in. That, and it's the same with sales agents. You see the the newbies in the sales agent space; they don't know how to deal with a, a tough market. I think even the experienced agents have forgotten how hard it is to sell yeah. in a normal market, right? And so, you know, all the, the that'll sort the wheat from the chaff, and you'll get a lot of people leaving the sales agency side of things as well, because all of a sudden, this is hard. It's a hard job. It's when this yeah. is when you really earn your bucks and you learn your skills as well. And the same with the buyer's agent. How do I deal with these market conditions? What conversations do I need to have with my with my clients and potential clients now the market is different and, yeah. and people aren't falling in my lap begging me to take their business? You know, it's a totally different scenario. And and this is where the experience comes in. You know, like honestly, this downturn, I, I'm so relaxed about it. I feel like I've been through seven in my career and it's like yeah. finally after sev after six, on yeah. the seventh one, I'm relaxed, right? <laughs> This is not easy. Yeah. I think the buyer's agent is a really tough job. I think, you know, I, I think I hate the advertising. It's an easy job, et cetera. Like it's, you know, you can oh, make so much money. You do it part-time. No all that sort of nonsense. Like One hour a day. <laughs> like the best buyer's agent, though, it's a 24-7 job almost. Like it is because you're well, working weekends. You're working weekends. And a lot of the time you can sometimes be negotiating, doing open houses and viewings with clients after hours before their work because you've got to go with them. Um, so the hours are pretty stretched, I think. Um, you know, it's they're not been like a nine hell of a five. lot better. It's yeah. a hell of a lot better since work from home. So well, you got yeah. to thank COVID to actually shorten the buyer's agent's working day. <laughs> At if they, yeah, I'm um, assuming they're probably buying the suburb they're, they're living. Like sometimes people I'm are buying. I'm being a bit flippant there. Yeah, but you know what I mean? That's sort of <laughs> like I think there's, it's, it's, it's not a job easy. It's not like a job where you can just no. all of a sudden work nine to five, Monday to Friday, no weekends. Like this is not that. And. I think the thing and it's is, not it's swanning around looking at houses. No. like, And there's a whole crop of television shows that are sort of really pitching buyers' agencies being glamorous. <laughs> there's nothing glamorous about it, I can tell you. No, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a tough job. You're looking for a scarce product that is going to be hard to find. You've got to be hitting phones. You've got to be out there and you've got to not be wasting time because you've only got a limited resource on properties that aren't going to be suitable. So it's like what you say no to and then quickly figuring out if this is going to happen or not, you know, like have we got a chance at this? Is this is there any due diligence I can do right now and rule it out? Um, and I think that's the – and then having the confidence to educate the buyer, I think, to go hard on it if it is something that really ticks their boxes. Um, we had a client miss out on a property last week that it's in Melbourne and um, they're not using a buyer's agent. Money is just so tight. Um, they'd love to use one, you know, but they just, you know, they think they can do it themselves. Um, 
so you know they sent me this property and said what do you think i said look that property is from what i can see is a triple a asset that is very rare to come on the market i mean the owners live there for 40 years like they um you know great street top suburb great frontage great aspects you know perfectly north a bigger block for the area surrounded by nice houses relayed access you know nowhere near the main roads but close to the amenity um you know a great renovation potential good floor plan bigger rooms like it was just like i'm like this property looks hot and you know <laughs> um the guide was way i was like that guide is going to be well under anyway it sold for 25 percent above the guide it sold in nine yeah. days. Um, mm. Our client thought, and this is they, in a in a slow market. In a slow market, this is last week. Yeah, just shows A grade, uh, A grade, yeah. A grade. Always. Oh, they sent it to me, and I was now. like, uh, "There's nothing I can see that this isn't going to go." And it did. It sold like <clears throat> so. They thought they had a chance at fifteen percent above the guide. And I said, "I don't reckon you got like. I reckon you're going to be. If you got it for that, you'd be super happy uh, mm. looking at comparables." Um, and yeah, I mean that, and that's why I think with the buyer's agent, like you just. You would have the confidence. They ended up going for it really hard as much as they could, but their budget wouldn't stretch that far. But, mm. you know, they just don't know how scarce an asset is sometimes. And unfortunately, then now they're coming to us another property, uh, like the Wounded Bull, thinking, oh, and the agent's doing all the same tricks they did on the last property. This is going to go hot. I've got heaps. But this is just a chalk and cheese property. This is nowhere near as yep. good as what they were looking at. Um, I've seen I've seen buyers do that and they overpay for the second one, which is nowhere near as good because they they – they think everything operates the same way. They don't. They don't yeah, have that's, discernment. Yeah, that's what's happening in this situation. And and I think you know, we had a chat, and they figured that out, and they're happy not so etc. But it was just like a, a buyer's agent would would be there to say, right, let's not go for that. You're feeling a bit frustrated because mm. you missed out on that last one, and you're emotional. Let's be patient and let's look for this, or you know, or try to get access to that, make offers faster, or you know, try to get the one ac access before it hit the market and things like that. Yeah. I think my attitude with buyers agents is that you don't know where the value add is going to be until after the transaction because it's it's you don't know where – what what was that difference maker? Because it could be so many different things with buyers agent. It may be access. It might be, um, mm. it might be the negotiation. It could be um, just stopping you buying the wrong property. It could be the conversation saying this property versus that property. Which one's the best fit for you because you're emotional? Or it could be for, you know, the auction. Like mm. it's a very, could be a small part, but it could be what would the difference is. And um, you just don't know what it's going to be. And for every transaction, I think it's different things. Um, it could be the due but diligence. Yeah. But that's, it, and that's precise. It was also the guidance and the coaching. So yeah. You, you know, we know you're going to feel this way because that's a really normal reaction to what just happened. However, yeah. this is this is what we're going to do. And that sort of calm guidance yeah. in what is a very emotional time. And even that requires experience because you need to have been through a number of cycles. You need to have been through a number of, you know, missing out on properties, getting properties, you know, like the knowing the difference, knowing that you will get there and having that confidence, particularly last year, that was one of the biggest challenges last yeah, year in a sure. hot market, that keeping people focused on being positive, you will get there, it's going to be hard, you know, prices are rising, your budget's not rising, you know, at, at the same rate. However, this is what we're going to do next, you know, and so that really calm guide is is very important. And I think too that, um, you know, you, you were sort of talking earlier about the type of buyer's agent that would take on a, a brief without really interrogating that brief and really testing yeah. it. And and that's sort of like the difference between, between an order taker and a true advisor. And I think that this is the the difference, uh, you know, I see a lot. A lot of buyer's agents that just go, yeah. oh, you want one of them? Sure, I'll get you one of them. And if I quiz that buyer's agent, why did you buy that property? Well, that's what they wanted. Did you bother to advise them that that's not really a good asset? Did you even know it's not really a good asset? Did you did you open their eyes before they made that decision? And and some buyer's agents will say, yeah, I had a client that wanted to buy a B-grade asset or a C-grade asset, but I made sure that they realised all the pros and cons so yeah. they could make that decision really with really with, with confidence as opposed to, well, no, that's just what they wanted. I gave them what they wanted. If you're going to it, that's an order taker. That is someone who's not adding any value because, honestly, you can make all those bad decisions all by yourself and save yourself the buyer's agent's fee. <laughs> However, yeah. you know, somebody that is going to guide you through that or recognises a C-grade asset and absolutely stops you, pins your, you know, 
pin to your hands behind your back so that you don't overpay for it. Really, really carefully yeah, yeah. Um, negotiating to make sure that you, you get it at the cheapest possible price if that's what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone who's really got your best interests at heart. Now, it's that funny the, because That's I, the um, true professional, the person who's like, and we pride ourselves on that absolutely exactly the same, you know, that I'm talking about mm. yesterday. That, the easy thing for me to do there to say, yeah, okay, I know you missed out on that. It looks pretty good. Let's just, you know. Buy it. Yeah. I know for well that's not going to – I could see exactly where they were coming from. So the the validator, the transactional person, the person who mm. gets them – lets themselves off with that statement that I just did what they wanted to do. That's like when you had yeah. that questions for the buyer's agents up front. Like I, I really find it hard to work – I would just wouldn't actually. If I went to a buyer's agent and say, oh, sometimes we buy a new property. Sometimes we buy – oh, depending on what the client mm. wants. Like I'm like – yeah, you, you don't get it. Um, I say to a buyer's agent, "How do you determine what a good investment is?" They go, "Well, it all depends on what the client wants." Well, what yeah. do you mean by that? <laughs> and and they're not talking about their objectives in terms of their investment objectives. They're talking about, well, if they tell me they want a unit, I'll get them a unit. If they tell me they want one of these, I'll get them one of these. It's like that. Yeah. That's not a good investment. You know no. that that is. You know you're not adding. Once again, are you adding value? No. Then all you're doing is swanning around, spending other people's money. Not yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> the irony, I think, for these I've, people, um, though, I've is actually... that they don't ever, I don't think they realise that the value in growing a business is through client trust and reputation. Mm. And if you really want to grow a business, all you got to do is focus on that. And if you provide great advice, yeah, it might not be in the your short-term financial interest, right, or whatever, but if that advice is good advice, over time that advice proves itself that client remembers. Yeah. They may or not want not work with you. You you do lose clients through this who don't get validated, and then they go, "Well, I'll go somewhere else in their brain that's going to validate me." Mm. Um, it happened to us last week. I I definitely don't think that client's going to work with us because um, I you know could see the writing on the wall. They wanted to buy an apartment, but they should be buying a house. They wanted to be conservative. They wanted to buy you know well under their budgets. They thought they'd just be able to do a stepping stone into a bigger house and. Um, you know, and in the areas I wanted to buy an apartment was just going to be very cookie cutter and mm. nothing special about it. And, you know, I was trying to educate them. It sounded like I might try to ask them to spend more money because we get paid more, but that's not it. It's because I could see that that decision's not going to be a great stepping stone into another thing. So, that, yeah. Yeah. And that yeah, is and a problem because often we need to recommend to somebody, you know what, like if you only spend that, you are actually hamstringing your ability you know, your future wealth. Yeah. But, you know, and as long as you know that, but if, you, if, if you're not wanting to spend more money because you're fearful of the debt but you haven't fully understood the calibre of the asset and the compromises you're making on that in order to keep the budget at that level, assuming yep. it's affordable and with under the guidance of their broker and all the rest of it, you know, and that's not about us trying to make our job easier because every time somebody increases nah. their budget, they actually increase their, they increase their expectations accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's not a lot more actually because if you're spending more than what you want to spend, you want something even better. Um, and that's, I think, what's happening at the moment. Like, People are spending more on their mortgage than they were last year. So they're, 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 they're mm. going to be less, more picky. If you're knowing you're going to have to pay yeah. that out every month, well, I'm only going to do it if it's a great property. Uh, it's the same as thing when people yeah. spend more than they want to spend. They um, they definitely want to get a better asset. And that's probably a good thing actually anyway because the more that more picky you are, usually the better investment it's going to be as well um, 100%. because it's going to have more lifestyle and livability. So this is a good conversation. I just think it's um, – it's very ignorant and arrogant, I guess. And if you think that you can do it yourself more than a top buyer's agent who's got – and so their fee is absolutely worth it if you're picking the right one. It's just there's so many challenges to to getting uh, – and then it's just it's just a real, like you said, art and science on how you deal with them, et cetera. Um, and it's a bit of a minefield so, picking the right one. So hopefully that was valuable to our, our listeners on the world of buyer's agency. Yeah. Now, with, with that, just a couple of resources I'll pop into the show yep. notes. One is, you know, Home Bar Academy, Megan Wells and I, we created that for people that couldn't afford a buyer's agent. Yeah. And, and so, obviously, it's pitched really at first home buyers because typically they can't. But, you know, so Home Bar Academy, you know, you can learn the process yourself, right? And honestly, our students in Home Bar Academy that have done the Your First Home Buyer Guy course, honestly, they'd be better than a lot of the buyer's agents I come across. They really would. 
um, because I actually know the whole process and, and and all the due diligence, everything they need to be doing to do. So you'll actually, if you can't afford a buyer's agent, do it better than a lot of buyer's agents. Um, also, from a buyer's agent point of view, or people wanting to become a buyer's agent, there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of false promises about how glamorous it is and how easy it is and how you can earn you know six figures doing only five hours a week work and stuff. <laughs> That is not true. It is not true. And so I've actually got an ebook I've put together, which is really, and I've surveyed a whole bunch of experienced buyers agents really to distill into what characteristics does it take to be a good buyer's agent? You know, what do you need to succeed? What is the pathway you need to go through to become a buyer's agent? So if you want a bit of a, um, to, understand i guess more the reality of it rather than the glamorization of it then i'll put the ebook in the in the show notes as well and actually while we were talking um i've got a resource on my good deeds website which is you know a checklist on how to or cheat sheet i should say on how to choose a buyer's agent so if you're out there shopping around for a buyer's agent i'll put the the link in there so you can download that if you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.